Well, greetings and welcome to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I'm also an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Uh, Before I begin this podcast, I do want to let you know about a need that we have as a church. Um, Our youth pastor who has served here for the past 12 years has taken another position, and so we as a church are searching for an associate pastor of youth and family ministry. And so if you know someone or you're interested in inquiring about this full-time associate pastor position here in Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado, I will give you the contact information where you can send your resume. Uh, you can send your resume to our elder, Russell Hirschberger. He is the chairman of our search committee, and here is his email. His email is h-e-r-s-h-97 at bresnan, B-R-E-S-N-A-N dot net. I will put his email in the show notes, but if you are interested or you know someone who's interested in submitting a cover letter and resume for this new associate pastor position. It's basically predominantly a youth pastor, but we're also looking at family ministry as well, helping families, especially young families, disciple their children. We have a lot of young families coming to our church, and so uh, we have a thriving youth group, and so we're looking for an associate pastor. This person would also help me in the general ministerial duties that we have as a church, pastoral care, visitation, Um, evangelism, pulpit supply, and all the things related to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church. So if you are interested or you know someone who's interested, we'd sure love to receive your resume for the Associate Pastor of Youth and Families position. Well, in my previous podcast a few weeks ago, I, I talked about what it means to be a Reformed Baptist, and I gave six key elements or characteristics of that. The previous podcast dealt with a little bit more in detail with the distinction between law and gospel. And so in this podcast, and this is part one of the podcast, I'm going to do part two um, as a separate podcast, but one of those issues was that we are not dispensational but covenantal in our theology, but the big issue was that we have an understanding of how to interpret the Bible called the redemptive historical Christ-centered hermeneutic. The redemptive, historical, Christ-centered hermeneutic. What this means is, is that we preach and teach the Bible so that it always points back to Christ and the gospel. And this is extremely important when it comes to preaching the Old Testament. So in this podcast, I'm going to talk about how do you preach Christ from the Old Testament? How does this historical redemptive approach to understanding the scripture especially relate to the Old Testament? Now, in the next podcast, we'll talk about preaching from the New Testament, but oftentimes we as pastors shy away from the Old Testament or we preach it in such a way that it's not Christ-centered or historical redemptive. So I'm going to talk about that in this podcast. John Calvin, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, commenting on John chapter 5, verse 39, makes this great statement. John Calvin says, quote, We ought to read the scriptures with the express design of finding Christ in them. 
Whoever shall turn aside from this object, though he may weary himself throughout his whole life in learning, will never attain the knowledge of the truth. For what wisdom can we have without the wisdom of God? We should read the scriptures with the express design of finding Christ in them, especially the Old Testament. So to explain this concept more fully, I want to give two case studies or two approaches to interpreting the Bible. Now, as many of you know, I have my doctorate in expository preaching from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And as I was going through that process, we had to read so many books on preaching and hermeneutics and exegetical theology. And so there's, there's really um, two issues I want to deal with, and I want to interact with two key figures in this discussion and I want to interact with two of their books. So this is more of interacting with two figures and, and how they differ in the approach to preaching the Old Testament. I want to interact with Sidney Gradonis and Walt Kaiser. These are fine theologians and authors who come to this topic of preaching Christ from the Old Testament with two differences of opinions. So I want to give a summary of their approach by interacting with their respective books on preaching Christ from the Old Testament. So we're going we're gonna to discuss Sidney Gradonis' book, Preaching Christ from the Old Testament, A Contemporary Hermeneutical Method, Sidney Gradonis, and then we're going to deal with Walt Kaiser's The Majesty of God in the Old Testament, A Guide for Preaching and Teaching. So both of these books are geared towards helping pastors, helping theologians, helping students of the Bible understand how to preach and teach the Old Testament. And they come with two different approaches. So let's first of all deal with Sidney Gradonis. He's one of the key figures in modern conservative evangelical scholarship that has championed the Christ-centered, redemptive, historical hermeneutic. And so we are going to deal with his book, Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. By the way, one of the best books on preaching to understand the different genres of Scripture is Sidney Gradonis' book, The Modern Preacher and the Ancient Text. He's got a great book on preaching Christ from Ecclesiastes. I will put links to these in the show notes to Amazon so you can go check out those books for yourself. But the main book we're going to deal with is Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And so, Gradonis' primary purpose in this book is to demonstrate the necessity of Christ-centered preaching from the Old Testament, and more specifically, to preach Christ in such a way that, quote, some facet of the person, work, and teaching of Jesus of Nazareth will lead people to believe Him, trust Him, love Him, and obey Him. And he defines this, he defines this as preaching sermons which authentically integrate the message of the text with the climax of God's revelation and the person, work, and teaching of Jesus Christ as revealed in the New Testament. So instead of just mentioning Jesus by name in an Old Testament text, he argues that the Old Testament text must be authentically interpreted in its grammatical, historical context in such a way that it links back to some specific aspect of Christ. Now, this is very important. 
we come to understanding the way to interpret the scriptures is the grammatical, historical approach. So you look at the original language of the Hebrew. We'll just stick with the Old Testament here. Daniel in some portions are in Aramaic, but predominantly in Hebrew. So you go back to the original language and you understand the grammar, the language. You understand the history of the text. You you understand what did the Spirit-inspired authors intend to the original audience in the Old Testament? What was the meaning? What was the context? What what is the, the literal, historical, grammatical interpretation of that text to the original audience? But the redemptive historical approach takes it one step further and says, we now have the New Testament, and we have the revelation of Christ, and we have how Christ taught us to understand the Old Testament, and we have how the New Testament apostles wrote and preached, especially in the book of Acts, some of those sermons, how do they link back to the Old Testament? So so we understand the Old Testament in its original historical grammatical context, but we take it one step further and say, how does this particular Old Testament passage point to or find its fulfillment in Christ and the gospel? What are the Christ-centered gospel implications of the text? So, he stresses the importance of preaching Christ to our contemporary culture, because of the mandate given to us in the Great Commission, as well as the exclusive nature of Christ alone in the good news of the gospel offered for the eternal salvation of sinners. Now, he understands that many Christians today have potential hurdles to overcome in accepting this hermeneutic. So it's vital to understand the history of redemption leading up to Christ and provide a more full understanding of the person and work of Christ. And so, since this is kind of a controversial approach in some circles, especially maybe in more dispensational circles, Gradanus proposes in his book three reasons why there's this lack of focus on Christ-centered preaching from the Old Testament. Why, why do we not do this? And maybe as you sit under preaching or you think about the, the way you've kind of been brought up and the preaching you've listened to, maybe these three approaches explain how you have understood or you have taught or maybe you have even heard preaching on the Old Testament. So he gives three examples. So number one, he says there's a temptation of human-centered preaching which pro- focuses primarily on biographical sermons, morality issues. So like a character study. So for example, this would be a sermon series like, you know, be a Daniel, be courageous, or don't be like David and commit sexual sin, or be like David and kill your, your giants. It's taking an Old Testament person, a biographical sketch of the life of Joseph or the life of David, or maybe even an Old Testament narrative, and then basically giving it more of a moralism, don't be like this. So there's no gospel implications, there's no focus on Christ, it's mainly be like this Old Testament person, don't be like this Old Testament person, what can we learn from this Old Testament passage that teaches us about behavior, what we should do or what we shouldn't do, what's the moral of the story, and and follow that morality so that you can avoid the sin that that Old Testament person committed, or you can do the thing positively that that Old Testament person or that Old Testament narrative points to. So more like human-centered biographical sketches is how you preach the Old Testament without any relationship to Christ or the gospel. That's, that's the first example. 
The second, and this may not be as popular today as it was maybe in past generations, but there's a concern about, okay, if you go that far, if you, if you preach Christ, there's this movement that says you, you have to find Christ in every single scripture in the Old Testament. So you kind of shoehorn Jesus into the Old Testament text when he's not there to try to make or force some type of Christ-centered application. And so this is more of an allegorical, you're, you're highly allegorizing, highly typological. Um, this was very popular in the early church that would allegorize everything. I mean, even Augustine was guilty of this, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this. So this was kind of in the, the 300s, the 400s, the early church. There were two schools of thought and how you understood the scriptures, and there was a highly allegorical method of understanding the scripture. So that's, that's the, that swings the other direction. But probably one of the, the big issues, and this is more focused on dispensational theology, is the third example he gives, or the third reason why we probably don't do this Christ-centered type preaching, is there's um, such a separation between the Old Testament from the New Testament. It's almost seen as they're two independent books, and there's no historical redemptive connection. Um, the, the dispensational approach sees a brick wall between the two Testaments as opposed to more of like a picket fence, where there is a distinction, but there are some things that, that go between the two. Um, there's also like a really hyper-dispensational. I may do a podcast on this in the future. I, there, there's some kind of hyper, hyper-dispensationalists out there, and there's actually um, some people in our area here that believe this, in our kind of our local area, that not only is the Old Testament not ap- applicable to Christians, but not even the Gospels are applicable to Christians today because that was in that dispensation only to the Jewish people, and they rejected that. And so really what only applies to Christians today is the latter half of Acts and just the epistles of Paul. So it's highly Pauline in theology, and we're going to throw out not just the Old Testament, we're going to throw out the Gospels as well. And so those are three reasons why some people may be afraid of this Christ-centered hermeneutic. And so he gives the fundamental conclusion. This is his thesis, or this is his conclusion. He states, quote, The Old Testament must be interpreted not only in its own context, but also in the context of the New Testament. It's very important. You need to have both. We need to do the hard work to understand the grammatical, historical context of the Old Testament text in its original context to the original hearers. But then, as an extra step, you need to understand how that also fits into the context of what's been revealed in the New Testament with the coming of Christ. So he goes on to say, the ultimate form of interpreting the Old Testament is messianic interpretation or Christocentric interpretation. Other forms of interpretation, such as literary, historical, and sociological, may discover aspects of the truth, but only messianic interpretation will uncover the vital truth of the Old Testament. This is kind of a bold statement that he's arguing, but he's saying that any sermon preached from any Old Testament text that is faithful to the literary, historical, and grammatical exegetical context yet does not preach Christ, is not good enough to be a complete, accurate interpretation or a Christian sermon. A Christian sermon. In other words, 
if what is preached on a Sunday morning is faithful to the Old Testament text and, and an Orthodox Jewish person sitting in there would have no problem with what you're saying, you've, you've preached the Old Testament text faithfully, but you haven't preached the Christ-centered fulfillment of that text in light of what we have in the New Testament. In other words, it may be a faithful Old Testament sermon, but it's not a Christian sermon or a Christ-centered sermon. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we interact with Walt Kaiser. And so in the book, he goes through a journey of church history to illustrate how the approach has been through church history to interpret the Old Testament. And he begins with the allegorical methods of the early church fathers. So um, this was the Alexandrian school. So Alexander or Alexandria, Egypt, Northern Africa, these were men such as Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Clement, Origen. Um, the primary attribute of the allegorical school can be summed up in this statement. This was kind of their approach. The aim is to discern the hidden meaning of an event by laying bare the eternal truth enshrined within it. The purely historical or literal sense while valuable for situating the revelation in its temporal context, is of merely secondary importance. Okay, so the allegorical method says when you take the Old Testament, even the New Testament, what you see at face value, the literary, grammatical, historical understanding that the original audience would have understood, that's important, but that's secondary. What you really need to find is the deeper meaning, the secret meaning, the, the allegorical meaning. What's the allegory, or what's this pointing to spiritually? And so it was a hyper-allegorial, <laughs> how do I say it? Hyper-allegorializing, allegorizing, I can't even say it. Making allegory the ultimate of how you understand the Old Testament. Now, the early church, by and large, really disregarded the grammatical historical hermeneutic for this more hidden meaning, out-of-control allegory. Now, there were two schools of thought so that was the Alexandrian school, the hyper-allegory approach. Now, there was also what we call the Antiochian group from Antioch. This group of pastors and preachers and theologians, they held to a stricter view of the grammatical historical. Now, they left room for typology, but this would be more like John Chrysostom, would be more of the literal, grammatical, historical. And so when you had the influence of Augustine and then eventually Thomas Aquinas, um, the early church pretty much all throughout, even up until the Reformation, it kind of morphed into this fourfold meaning approach, this highly allegorical approach that held sway until the time of the Reformation. So much of the interpretation of the Old Testament, even the New Testament, was, was hyper focused on allegory. And so what happened during the Reformation with Martin Luther and with John Calvin is that they rejected this allegorical method and they went back and, and rediscovered. This was one of the big discoveries of the Protestant Reformation. They went back to the original sources, went back to the Greek and the Hebrew, but they also recovered the historical grammatic hermeneutic or approach to understanding Scripture. 
So, for example, Luther. Luther was trained in medieval Roman Catholic allegory. And he had changed his approach. And he came up with the law gospel hermeneutic, which is really famous for, 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 for Luther. Calvin also went back to the Antioch school and embraced more of a theocentric view of the Old Testament. And so, pretty much what happened during the Reformation is that under Calvin and Luther and the Reformers, they swung back to what we would call today the, the appropriate, I would say, understanding of how to interpret the Old Testament or the, interpret the Scriptures. The grammatical, historical, go back to the original sources, find out what it meant to the original audience, but then also bring in how this relates to the, the, the gospel and Christ. Now, what Gradanus does here is he gives six templates or six paradigms or, or six ways of preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Now, part of the confusing thing about his book is that some of these are very similar he probably didn't need to have six of them. He probably could have had four. Now, this is very similar to the things you're going to find in Graham Goldsworthy's work, the Australian scholar. Um, so this is Gradonis's paradigm, but I think it's helpful. You're also going to find this in Sinclair Ferguson in, in, in his approach. So the first is the redemptive historical progression. So this is where it links Christ to Old Testament redemptive events which find their climax in Him. Okay. So what events happened in the Old Testament that ultimately find their climax in Christ? So an example of this, an event would be like the Passover or Genesis 22 where Abraham takes Isaac up on Mount Moriah where there's the sacrificial ram substituted instead of his only son, or the Day of Atonement. There's these events that happen that if you just to preach the event in the Old Testament, I'll give you an example of this. When I was in preaching class in my master's level, not, not my doctoral level, but my master's level, um, I had a preaching professor who was not into the Christ-centered hermeneutic. And one of the assignments he gave us was Genesis 22 which is the famous passage of Scripture where Abraham takes Isaac up on Mount Moriah. And so um, he was very like, you have to use the grammatical, historical, what did it mean to the original audience? And so there was a guy in our class, and we had to preach this in front of others, and, and he preached it, and he did a great job of dealing with the original context, but then he brought it to how it focused upon Christ and how Christ is the typology of the only son that was, and, you know, Isaac carrying the wood on his back represents Jesus carrying the cross to Calvary. And the substitutionary atonement of the ram in the thicket is opposed to sacrificing his only son, Isaac. He, he made a very historical, redemptive approach to Christ, which I would agree with. Well, the professor said, now this is wrong. The original audience would have not understood that. You're importing Christ back to the Old Testament. You are not being faithful to the grammatical historical method. Um, I'm counting you off on this sermon because you did not preach the text the way it should have been preached. Well, that's the approach more that Walt Kaiser has that we're going to talk about in just a moment. And so because he brought in the typology, because he brought in Christ and the fulfillment of those events, 
it was marked down in our preaching class because it, the, the preaching professor said, you're not being faithful to the text. Well, he was being faithful to the text, but he was bringing in the fulfillment of those events of what Christ and the apostles brought back in to that. So that's the first way you understand him. The, other, the second method is promise fulfillment. So what promise did God give in the Old Testament, and how did it find its fulfillment in Christ? So if you find a promise in the Old Testament and it was a promise given to Israel, or a promise given to a person. Yes, that promise was specifically given to that person or to the nation at that time in redemptive history, but then how is that promise ultimately fulfilled in Christ? So you can preach the promise and be faithful to how that promise was given directly to Abraham, or that promise was given directly to David, but then how is that promise ultimately fulfilled in Christ? Promise fulfillment. The third way is typology. Okay, what are the consistent principles? What's the recurring rhythms that you see in the Old Testament that are types and shadows? Now again, this is very close to number one. He talks about events, but are there some typology issues? Not necessarily events, but maybe the sacrificial system is a typology. I mean, when you go through um, and look at the construction of the tabernacle. Back when I preached through Exodus a couple years ago, and we went through each aspect of the furniture and the tabernacle um, and all the aspects of that. Yes, that was very specific instructions given to Moses at that time for the sacrificial system. But if you go to the New Testament, you find out how Christ is the fulfillment of those typologies. For example, the bread of the presence on the table. There was always had to be bread on the table representing the sustenance that God gave the Israelites as manna in the wilderness. And so we know that if you, to preach that text, you know, the bread of presence was to remind the Israelites all the time under the sacrificial system in the temple, in the tabernacle, that God provided for their needs in the wilderness with manna. But what do we see Jesus saying in John chapter 6? When he feeds the 5,000, he goes back to the typology and says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that come down from heaven. And so the typology would be to preach that Old Testament passage related to the bread of the presence. You can preach it in its historical grammatical context of what it meant to the original audience and what it meant to the Israelites. But if you don't bring in how Christ is the ultimate bread of life and how today we find our fulfillment in him and how he's the, the fulfillment of that typology, you really haven't preached that text in its full context as redemptive historical pointing to Christ. Now, the fourth aspect he talks about, and again, these kind of rub together, is he calls analogy. Um, what are the continuities in the history that are later kind of analogies of earlier events and persons in the Old Testament that you find in the New? I, again, Gradonis kind of has, I think, too many categories. I think typology and analogy and promise fulfillment. These, these are all kind of the same way of looking at the thing. And then he also talks about, number five, longitudinal themes. What are the big themes that you find in the Old Testament that find their fulfillment in the New Testament? So, for example, one of the big themes is covenant, or one of the big themes in the Old Testament is creation, or one of the big themes in the Old Testament is kingship. And so, you know, covenant, creation, kingship, you see these themes repeating themselves often in the Old Testament. And there is a grammatical historical um, meaning to 
kingship or creation or covenant in the immediate context, but how do they find those fulfillments in Christ? For example, a gospel implication. How, how do we find new creation through regeneration as a theme in the New Testament that you tie back to the theme of creation in the old? Or kingship. The, the, the kings of Israel, or even David, how does it find its fulfillment in Jesus as the king? One of the big examples of a longitudinal theme would be the whole idea of prophet, priest, and king. So for example, the, the office of prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament, these were all pro, um, offices that were anointed. The prophets were anointed to go declare the word of the Lord. The priests were anointed to work in the the um, sacrificial system doing the sacrifices and the kings were anointed to lead and so these themes of prophet priest and king the anointed leaders of israel that had different functions now no one person held all three offices you couldn't be a king and a priest you couldn't be a prophet and a king jesus comes along and he's the fulfillment of all three of those offices prophet, priest, and king. And the word Messiah means anointed one. So those themes of prophet, priest, and king that you see in the Old Testament, they find their fulfillment ultimately in Jesus as the Messiah. And then finally, the sixth thing he says is um, you focus on the discontinuity between the Old Testament and Christ. What are some things that aren't, um, don't have continuity? things that aren't similar. So you you can kind of go opposite the things you find in the Old Testament that are different than what you find in the New Testament. And again, all these things kind of mix together, but the main thing is you're trying to discover in the grammatical historical context, literary context, to the original audience what the meaning of the text is, but then you're taking what you find in the New Testament, in Christ, in the Gospel, and you bring the implications back to bring that to a sermon or a teaching so that you fully have a redemptive historical Christ-centered approach, the Christocentric approach. And so that's really the understanding that we have related to um, this this method that Sidney Gradonis has given us. Now, he, he, he offers some good controls or rules because you can kind of get overly zealous in trying to find Christ in every Old Testament passage. Um, that is a danger to this approach, that you can say, man, I'm preaching an Old Testament passage, and I'm just not finding Jesus in this passage. I, I maybe need to make up something so that every sermon I have in the Old Testament points to Christ. Now, one of my controls is this, when I do Old Testament preaching, Not every Old Testament passage is going to point directly to a typology related to Christ. But I think in every Old Testament passage, you can find a gospel implication or a gospel application. In other words, how does does the gospel, maybe not the person and work of Christ specifically, but maybe some aspects of the gospel, How does this Old Testament text relate to the doctrine of justification or regeneration or predestination or sanctification or or something related to the good news of the gospel that we find fully more fully taught in the New Testament? What what do you see in this Old Testament passage that you can relate? So my control is doesn't always have to be Christ centered in the sense of 
finding Jesus specifically in that text, but gospel-centered in that. What are the implications and applications of the gospel? And so Gradonis would say this. He says, first, always proceed typological interpretation with literary historical interpretation. In other words, do the literary historical interpretation first before you get to typology. He says this, we must know the author's message for Israel before we look for ways to focus the message on Jesus Christ and apply it to the church. To reverse this process is to court disaster. That's very important. You don't want to get the cart before the horse. You want to do the grammatical, historical, literary approach. What did it mean to the original audience? Find that meaning first. Mine the riches of that text for its meaning to the original audience. Preach that, but then take the next step to find the typology, find the promise fulfillment, find the types and shadows, and bring in the, the Christian aspect to that Old Testament passage. And so sometimes preachers can get mesmerized with the fun of seeing all the typological links to Christ that you actually, you fail to preach Christ and Him crucified. So ultimately what Gradonis says th- is this, he says, do not simply draw a typological line to Christ, but preach Christ. Sometimes you can get so interested in showing how Jesus fulfills these promises and, and, and get all the you know, prophet, priest, and king that you can sometimes fail to actually offer people Christ. A very important aspect of preaching is to offer people Christ, the person and work of Christ, to both non-believers and to believers, to preach Christ and Him crucified. So overall, this is an excellent resource for pastors, seminary students, those who want to interact with church history and find practical ways to preach Christ from the Old Testament. And again, his six steps are important. They're they're, um, helpful. Again, I think he probably could have narrowed it down to four. But ultimately, Sidney Gradonis comes with this Christ-centered, gospel-centered hermeneutic that I think is balanced. He, he still protects the grammatical, historical, literary context. What did the passage mean to the original audience? Find that out first. Don't skip that step. But then he takes the next step and says, okay, because we have the New Testament now, it speaks back to that Old Testament and gives a fuller understanding of the gospel and Christ-centered applications and implications of that text. And so preach that as well. Now, in contrast to Sidney Gradonis is Walt Kaiser. Now, Walt Kaiser is an Old Testament scholar. Walt Kaiser has written one of the best books on um, understanding biblical interpretation. His book, Toward an Exegetical Theology, is probably one of the most helpful books I read in doing biblical exegesis. And so his book, The Majesty of God in the Old Testament, a guide for preaching and teaching. So he's written a book, and basically the book is more of tracing the theme of the glory of God in the Old Testament. And he, instead of kind of being a book on how-to, it's examples of sermons from different Old Testament texts. It's really pretty much (laughs) sermons from Old Testament texts. Then he draws out how you would preach the Old Testament. 
And so his purpose in the book is to provide preachers and teachers, quote, a whole new appreciation for the majesty and greatness of God as presented in the scriptures, especially the all-too-neglected Old Testament. So he reviews 10 Old Testament texts that explore this theme of the majesty of God. And then he illustrates to preachers how they may go about preaching those particular passages. And so he's really writing in response to this Christocentric movement that Sidney Gradonis and Brian Chapel and Graham Goldsworthy and Sinclair Ferguson and other writers have kind of focused on. Kaiser say, now wait a minute, you guys are going a little bit too far. Let me bring a corrective to this. And so he disagrees with their conclusion that every Old Testament passage in Scripture must quote. He says this, move inexorably on to the New Testament if they wish to earn a Christian sermon rating. So he says, you can preach the Old Testament on its own, a very theocentric, God-centered message, and you don't have to bring in the New Testament or Christ-centered applications to be faithful as a Christian preacher. And so Kaiser rejects the claim by Gridanus that the key hermeneutical question is not the author's intended meaning for the original hearers, but instead... What really matters is how the text answers the redemptive historical context from creation to new creation. So that's more of his view. And so both of them agree, and both approaches agree, that you first start with the grammatical, historical, literary context, and you determine what it means to the original hearers. But Kaiser kind of stops there and says, that's enough. You can preach a faithful, expository sermon by just preaching the Old Testament text the way it was meant to be read, meant to be um, heard or understood by the original Israelites that received it. You don't need to bring in the Old Testament. You don't need to talk about types and shadows. You don't need to bring in gospel implications. You don't need to bring in Jesus. Just preach it at face value. And so, um, I'll give you some examples. Of, I'll, I'll interact with some of his sermons. I'm not going to give you the whole sermon, but I'll give you kind of the Old Testament um, passage of Scripture, and then I'll talk about the weaknesses and how he could have gone further and actually preached Christ and brought gospel implications into it. So, for example, um, he does a sermon on Numbers 20 where Moses strikes the rock, and he preaches it very faithfully into how it would have been understood in the original audience, but one of the big things he fails to do is to show the typology of the rock being Christ himself. He, he faithfully expounds the text. But one of the things that we have is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, Paul explicitly says that the rock was Christ. So you have an Old, an old Testament event, the striking of the rock, and then you have a New Testament apostolic author, Paul, making a comment on that event, explicitly teaching in the New Testament that Christ was that rock. And so Kaiser does not go to Paul's fulfillment of that event and bring it into the sermon. What ends up happening is um, the people drank from the rock and he could have made the illusion that Christ is the rock, he's the living water, he's the true manna, and that you receive your nourishment from Jesus as the one who was struck and died for us. And so in the Numbers text, the people fail 
in their unbelief of God's word. So basically, it's sheer moralism to end a sermon by telling listeners to avoid the same sin of the Israelites by simply doing a better job of believing God's word. That's basically how he ends the sermon. The Israelites didn't believe, so therefore, don't be like the Israelites. Don't, believe, don't be unbelieving like they did. Well, well, that's good. That may be the point of the original text. But you haven't really brought in the gospel to just leave people with law. Don't be like the Israelites. Well, you would bring the gospel into that as saying, the Israelites failed, and you and I are going to fail. And even if we follow the, the path of the Israelites and we have unbelief, we have, a, we have Christ as our rock. He was struck for our sins. When we fail, we can go to him and find forgiveness. He died on the cross for our sins so that when we do fail and when we do unbelieve, we can have that forgiveness. He's the one that gives us nourishment. He's the one that's the, the rock upon which we can stand. And so when we fail, we can have Jesus as our Savior. That's the difference between just leaving the sermon with moralism, don't be like the Israelites, to bringing in Christ. For example, another sermon he does is Jeremiah 32. And he makes reference to the hope of the new covenant, but he doesn't really stop and explain how Christ inaugurated the new covenant. He doesn't talk about the new covenant promises of the Holy Spirit living in people's hearts. He really focuses on the temporal promise fulfilled in the literal land for the Israelites, but he doesn't show how Christ himself is the promised land and that how the ultimate future promised land is the new heavens and the new earth and so again it's more related to the original context but not bringing in christ in a sermon on the character of god in psalm 139 he does a masterful job of systematic theology but he doesn't show how the psalm points to christ he talks about the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, and how these theological truths about who God is should move us to worship. But again, he doesn't give any gospel implications. So an Orthodox Jew sitting in that sermon may affirm these attributes of God. But you could take it a step further and say, wow, the incarnation is a wonderful implication of these truths. Think about God is omnipresent, God is everywhere, God is glorious. But think about this, in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ was born and full deity dwells in bodily form from Colossians 2.9. And so, is it not amazing that this expansive, unapproachable, magnificent God who's omnipotent and we see his glorious character chose to come to earth as God in the flesh and suffer and, and die and rise again so that we could have a personal relationship with this omnipotent God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of things that he does in his sermons where he will preach faithfully the Old Testament grammatical, historical method, great systematic theology, very theocentric related to, to God being revealed in that text, but he doesn't take the second step to say, okay, we have a New Testament. What are some New Testament implications, applications on this Old Testament passage? Do we see Christ in an event? 
Do we see Christ in a typology? Do we see a gospel implication? How can we bring this back into a sermon to make sure that we end with the glories of Christ and the gospel and who Jesus is in fulfilling those things? So, for example, he does a sermon on the glory of God in Ezekiel chapter 1. And again, he does a matchable job. of He explicates the meaning of the word glory. He goes in the intricacies of Ezekiel's vision. But it's interesting that he goes into all this stuff related to what Ezekiel saw, but he doesn't tie the vision to what John saw in Revelation 1, that Jesus as the Son of Man was arrayed in glorious blinding light. The vision of the throne room of God in Revelation 4 or 5 have, have amazing parallels to what we see in Ezekiel chapter 1, where Jesus is the lamb that was slain. And so Jesus is the mediator of this um, ability for, for us as humans to be able to have access to the glory of God through Christ, the one mediator. Um, and so he could have um, offered a gospel implication and pointed hearers to, to Christ as the ultimate son of man that was arrayed in, you know, in bright light that Ezekiel saw in his vision that ultimately was who John saw in his vision, who's now the crucified Christ um, exalted in heaven as the Lamb of God slain. He could have gone and, and given those gospel Christ-centered applications. Um, so I enjoyed his scholarship. He did a great job doing word studies on the word glory, and, and he did a masterful job of kind of a systematic a, a theology approach to these Old Testament passages, tracing um, the attributes and characters of God. And again, he, he, he was a very theocentric approach in that he faithfully preached the Old Testament passage and showed how God, Yahweh, is omniscient, omnipotent, glorious, worthy to be worshipped. And, and, and again, it was very much focused upon God, the Father, Yahweh, in the Old Testament, which is fine. But if it doesn't bring to how Christ is the fullness of the glory of God in human form, as deity, as, as, as fully God and fully man, the one mediator between God and man, uh, and that we have our relationship to this holy God, this glorious God, through the mediatorial work of Christ and Christ crucified, you haven't taken it far enough, in my opinion. And so, um, Kaiser is a great exegete, masterful in the original languages, systematic theology he does a wonderful job but his burden is to say you know what i've i've you can preach a faithful christian sermon by just expositing the old testament passage and not bringing christ or the gospel implications in let the old testament stand on its own and i used to kind of believe that i used to kind of like was so tied into the historical redemptive um, not, not historical redemptive, the grammatical historical literary context that I could preach an Old Testament sermon and I made sure I was faithful to the grammar and made sure I was faithful to the Hebrew, made sure I got the original context, understood the systematic theology, preached it faithfully, and it would have been a good sermon. But it would have been a better sermon had I taken the next step and said, okay, how do we see these things in this Old Testament passage fulfilled in Christ? What do the 
New Testament writers speak upon these themes? What are the longitudinal themes? What are the events that Christ fulfilled? And how can I bring Christ into this and the gospel into this so that people at the end of the sermon are left with the glories of Christ and the need to trust in Christ for salvation or to trust in Christ for growth? And, and one of the things about Old Testament preaching, there's not a lot of discussion in the old testament about the holy spirit and so you may see these like don't be like the israelites don't do this don't fall into the same sin they did and just preach it like don't do that well we have the new testament that teaches that as believers we have the indwelling holy spirit that gives us grace in the gospel to be able to say no and and then when we've got the spirit empowered um, ability to obey and to walk in holiness. And even when we fail, because we've been justified by faith alone, our standing doesn't change. We're permanently accepted before God. We can go back to the cross and find forgiveness. And the Holy Spirit, again, gives us power to walk in newness of life. Those types of themes may not be brought back into an Old Testament passage when you just say, hey, don't do what the Israelites did. So one of the things that it means, in my opinion, to be a Reformed Baptist is that we understand that we need to faithfully preach the text, and we're talking Old Testament in this podcast, in its grammatical, historical, literary context, be faithful to the original intention of the Spirit-inspired author, what did the text mean to the original audience, but then we take it one step further and say, what are the Christ-centered gospel implications, applications of this text so that we can preach this more fully to bring to bear both Testaments and how the New Testament speaks back upon that Old Testament passage and presents the fullness of the redemptive historical culmination in Christ. So there's two, there's two kind of viewpoints on this. There's the Sidney Gradonis school, the Christ-centered, redemptive historical, and then there's the Walt Kaiser. You can just preach the Old Testament straight with the grammatical historical and still be fine. So let me give you a couple of helpful resources, and I'll put these in the show notes. Um, So from the Simeon Trust website, there is a PDF article by Sinclair Ferguson that is excellent. He kind of takes some of these things that Gradonis has talked about and synthesizes it or summarizes it into a, a smaller document so you don't have to read a whole book. But it's called Preaching Christ from the Old Testament by Sinclair Ferguson. It's more of an essay or an article, and that's on the Simeon Trust website. Another good book is by Dale Ralph Davis. Now, I love Dale Ralph Davis. He's a wonderful writer, but he has a great book called The Word Became Fresh, how to preach from Old Testament narrative texts. I love the commentaries from Dale Ralph, da- D- Dale Ralph Davis because he will be faithful to the Old Testament text, but then he does a masterful job of bringing in the Christ-centered application. And so the word became fresh, how to preach from the Old Testament narrative text is a wonderful book to help you faithfully preach those Old Testament narrative passages, but bring in the gospel implications. Of course, Graham Goldsworthy, who's from Australia, his gospel-centered hermeneutics book is a classic. I disagree with some of the things of Goldsworthy, but his, much of what Goldsworthy is doing is trying to recapture this Christ-centered hermeneutic. I think sometimes he may take it a little bit too far, but it's helpful to read his stuff. Um, Dennis Johnson out of Westminster Seminary, California, 
Him we proclaim, preaching Christ from all the scriptures. This is more of a um, teaching exploration of how to preach Christ from all the scriptures. And then he does an exposition of the book of Hebrews and shows how that ties into the Old Testament and New Testament. So that's a, that's a good book. And then one of the classics, just books on preaching, is Brian Chappell's Christ-Centered Preaching, Redeeming the Expository Sermon. This is more of a how-to How do you build a Christ-centered sermon expositionally, being faithful to the historical grammatical method, but also bringing in the Christ-centered application? Um, He goes into a little bit more the nuts and bolts of how you do that. So if you are a preacher or a teacher or just a student of the Bible and and you want to kind of understand how the Old Testament and New Testament function together, the redemptive historical hermeneutic or the Christ-centered hermeneutic understanding of how we interpret the Bible is... Really what I believe, and I think it's the most faithful way to present the scriptures in preaching and teaching, and I found this too. When I um, preach Old Testament passages um, or teach on Old Testament, that's where I get the most feedback from my, um, the people in my church because they've probably just heard these as Old Testament stories or as morality tales or they're not that familiar with the Old Testament. But when you can make the Old Testament come alive by bringing in the Christ-centered, gospel-centered applications, that's where people just get really excited and, and, the, and the light bulb goes on and they see the connections and they get excited and they like, I've never seen this before. That's so awesome. And I didn't realize that the Old Testament could be so exciting. I always thought it was kind of a dry book that, that had a bunch of stories and I never really understood who these people were but you've really brought brought it all together and shown how the old and new testament work together and so I think it really engages your hearers and the people in your church to really kind of see the bible come alive when they can sit under this type of preaching the old testament so in the next podcast I'm going to talk about preaching in the new testament and what we're going to talk about is uh, making sure that you keep the indicatives the indicatives and you keep the imperatives, the imperatives, and that you are going to preach commands. If you're going to preach preach commands in the New Testament, you need to always root those in the gospel indicatives. So the difference between moral imperatives and gospel indicatives and how you preach those when you're preaching a New Testament text. So hopefully this has been a interesting and helpful podcast on preaching Christ from the Old Testament. Check out those resources from men that are a lot smarter than I am, that have studied this a lot more extensively than I have, and you will be blessed by reading their material. You may not always agree with them, but it will expand your horizons on helping you really understand this Christ-centered, redemptive historical hermeneutic. So thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. Until next time, would you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? even in the Old Testament.